0: Two weeks ago, we were talking about planning restful activities as a way of developing a discipline of joy. But where the rubber really meets the road is when we're faced with the unexpected. How well do we know ourselves? Because if we know ourselves well enough to see clearly that there's an explosion coming, if we stay on the same trajectory, then we can do something about it. We can change course. Quote, power is not controlling other people. Power is controlling yourself. Trying to control other people is the first sign that you are entirely out of control. Controlling others is what weak people think power looks like. End quote. Unfortunately, this quote was um, unattributed, so I can't give credit where credit is due, but it is spot on. Corresponding with it is 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, quote, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-control, End quote. Our ability to control ourselves in word and deed and thought, when it comes to what is commanded of us as wives, is directly tied to how rested we are. And again, a few weeks ago we talked about how that doesn't necessarily mean sleep. It's common sense that we need energy to do anything well. Would it help you to think of and equate grace with energy? If grace is Christ's life within you, it's his strength within you, his patience within you. If Christ is alive within you, then he's able to work through your daily living. Whatever he asks of you, if you keep him in the forefront within you, then he will give what is needed. The virtues which we are called to form and to maintain and exhibit cannot be achieved without supernatural help. Because the ultimate outcome of perfectly lived virtue is to be like God. <laughs> Do you think that Christ is joking when he tells us to be perfect? This is Matthew chapter 5 verse 48, quote, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, end quote. And this is following Christ teaching the Beatitudes, preaching on anger being liable to judgment as for murder, and turning the other cheek rather than exacting retaliation, do we think that these expectations laid out by Christ for the Christian do not apply in marriage? How often do we say that we cannot help being angry with our husband? How often do we talk back to him and not apologize? Are we prepared to be judged for that as for physical murder? Christ says, be perfect. And so we come back again and again to grace, our need for grace, to the discipline of reaching for grace. And finally, to exhibiting self-control. If you really cannot control your anger and your mind and your tongue, then how unjust would it be for Christ to demand of you what is truly impossible even with God's help? Two weeks ago in episode seven, we talked about planned rest as a first step in developing a discipline of joy, and I invited listeners to write down those activities which they regularly encounter and find to be draining. This was an initial exercise in self-knowledge, and when we talk about the spirit of self-control, which is essential in our pursuit of holiness, we have to start with self-knowledge. If we don't know ourselves, then how can we begin to control ourselves? Here are some pertinent quotes from various saints on the topic of self-knowledge and its importance. Saint Ignatius of Loyola says, "Occupy yourself in beholding and bewailing your own imperfections rather than contemplating imperfections of others." End quote. Saint Augustine says, quote, "Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee." End quote. And also, quote, know thyself and thy faults, and thus live. End quote. From Saint Angela of Foligno, quote, Our perfection certainly consists in knowing God and ourselves. End quote. And from Saint Teresa of Avila, quote, Self knowledge is so important that even if you were raised right up to the heavens, I should like you never to relax your cultivation of it. So long as we are on this earth, nothing matters more to us than humility. An ever deepening self knowledge is not comfortable by any means, but it is essential if we are serious about rejecting sin and pursuing holiness. And so once more, we need grace in that pursuit of holiness. It is part and parcel of that pursuit of holiness to then reach when we need it for that grace which God offers freely at all times. And one clear external indicator of grace in abundance, as we learned from Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, is joy. And so we continued in seeking to develop a discipline of it. It took so many explosions on my part for this understanding of a need for a discipline of joy to click. My husband said many, many things to me on this subject that I only vaguely remember and am therefore hesitant to attempt to quote or paraphrase because I was just so angry and unstable at those times. Um, and I just I don't really trust my memory regarding the majority of those conflicts. But the one thing that he said that did finally make it click for me, I remember very, very clearly. At the beginning of the month, in episode five, where we started laying out the case for grace, I talked about five signs of joylessness in the Catholic wife and mother. And I was exhibiting all five of those signs. I was already in the middle of a full-blown explosion, I was hysterical, I'd hit a wall, all the things. My voice was raised, I was half crying, and my husband, his voice also raised, but unlike me, apparently still thinking very clearly, uh, said forcefully, I want you to be happy. I'm happy when you're happy. I just want you to be happy. I had to walk away from that conversation, but that night was when I got serious about developing this discipline of joy, and I'm not perfect at it, but it has gotten to the point where if my bad mood bleeds over into how I treat my husband, number one, I know exactly how I got there. Number two, I know exactly what to do to get myself out, including apologizing to my husband if I was disrespectful. And number three, these incidents are so few and far between that my husband acknowledges that when it does happen now, he doesn't remember when the last incident occurred. So very sporadic and easy to bounce back from. And ultimately, my bad moods, because I'm, I'm human and I still get grouchy, don't have a debilitating effect on my marriage anymore. Now, God gives grace for specific things he is very detailed about the help that he gives there are graces that come with marriage for example and you do not receive those graces until you're married you don't receive them when you're engaged you don't receive them when you're dating or you know you receive them when you're married there's grace that's given to a mother of 12 kids that you don't get until you're a mom of 12 kids (laughs) so with that said One of the ways that we can help ourselves, because the good Lord helps those who help themselves, is to know our faults, to work on an ever-deepening self-knowledge, because he knows exactly what it is that we're struggling with, and so gives the grace for that specific struggle. But sometimes what prevents us from really making excellent use of that grace is that we're not actually sure what it is that we're trying to remedy with his help. So, for example, um, impatience. Okay, it's good to pray for patience, for the grace to be patient. But impatience is almost always just a symptom of something else, of a deeper issue. And if we're not attending to that deeper issue because we stop at treating the symptom of impatience, then we're not going to be making changes that last. We're really just managing an ongoing problem rather than addressing it at its root. So here are three examples of situations where impatience is just a symptom and where a deeper self-knowledge is needed to really make lasting change. Uh, First example, a woman who is impatient with a child who lies. Second example, a woman who is the model of patience in the workplace and has a reputation for being the most patient person in the department but is a completely different person at home. She's impatient with everyone about everything, and it seems like no one at home can do right by her. She's constantly losing her temper, and no one at home considers her to be a particularly pleasant person, in total contrast to the experience of her colleagues and her clients. And third, the example of a woman who is generally pretty patient, but consistently has one day out of a week where it's like all hell breaks loose. If these individuals ask themselves the right questions and really try to root out the cause of the impatience, what might they find? Well, for the woman who is um, who cannot seem to be patient with a child who lies... She needs patience to be able to deal with a situation. But she should also be asking herself, why is the child lying to her? Why does the child not trust her? And so aside from praying for the grace to be patient, maybe she should also be asking God for the grace to demonstrate to her child that she is a safe space for them. Maybe she hasn't given that child evidence that she can always be trusted with the truth, that no truth that the child brings forward will cause her to love her child any less. For the woman who is the model of patience in the workplace, but a ticking time bomb at home, why might that be? Well, one possibility is that she values her colleagues and their camaraderie at work more highly than she values her family she sees her marriage and the responsibilities that come with it as a burden as something that's holding her back from being where she really wants to be which is the workplace She is obviously putting her best foot forward in the workplace and so it would seem that what she's really struggling with more than patience is gratitude among other things of course but gratitude we assume that this woman was not coerced into the marriage she has that she was excited about it when she entered into it And if she's having such a hard time being just as good to her family as she is to her colleagues, then it's clear that she's lost sight of that. And finally, for the woman who is generally patient, but always has one day of the week where she completely falls apart, what's happening that day? Why is she overwhelmed? What makes that day different from all other days? You know, maybe, maybe all the kids have their sports activities that day. Maybe she needs to cut herself a break. You know, maybe for her to be able to play chauffeur with joy, maybe she needs to make that night pizza night and give herself permission to not do any chores that day and give herself half an hour to soak her feet and read her favorite book. The chores will wait. You know, pizza once a week won't completely ruin everyone's health. Her ability to serve with joy matters above all for her soul as well as the souls of her husband and children. Again, because joy indicates the presence of grace and abundance. And it will help her to reject any temptations to be harsh, to be disrespectful, to be resentful or bitter about her responsibilities. One of the reasons that we avoid deepening our self-knowledge is that we don't like what it reveals about us. It's easier to say I'm impatient versus my child is not secure in my unconditional love for them. You know, it's easier to admit that I'm impatient versus I see my family as a burden. I neither love them nor am as grateful for them as I ought to be. And sometimes it's easier to love duty over virtue, such as in the last example. And to that woman, G.K. Chesterton says, quote, always love virtue before you love duty. The reverse method produces dried souls incapable of joy. End quote. What what does Chesterton mean by this? Well, if you were to write up your usual uh, daily to-do list and in addition you were to set a parameter for yourself that you could only cross off those tasks which you completed with joy how would you do (laughs) when you tackle a big task like cooking for your family and your kids interrupt you are you yelling at them to leave you alone stop bothering you when you're watching the dishes after dinner are you grumbling audibly that no one's helping and banging pots and pans God pays attention to these details about our attitude. For God, for you to achieve sainthood, it's not enough to him that you cook dinner and wash the dishes. If that entire time you allow those tasks, which would otherwise have merit, to become occasions of sin for yourself. Washing the dishes is an objectively good action. However, (laughs) If you're stewing in resentment the entire time that you're doing them, God will judge the resentment over the clean dishes. That's what Chesterton means. So let me read that quote again, quote, always love virtue before you love duty. The reverse method produces dried souls incapable of joy, end quote. And this is precisely why we started where we did two weeks ago, asking ourselves what tasks, what duties we have that drain us and that demand improvement by virtue. Christ commands that you not settle for crossing things off of your to do list just because they're done. He commands that you attend to how you go about accomplishing those tasks. So, two weeks ago, we talked about planned rest, and this week, we're talking about spontaneous rest. With planned rest, the listener was invited to anticipate those regular activities which one finds to be draining, and to plan on doing something joy-filling first, with hope and intention of being able to tackle that typically draining task with joy. In talking about spontaneous rest as part of developing a discipline of joy, we're coming at it from the other end, Which is to say that there are things that we will find draining that we can't anticipate. There is going to be a diaper blowout. (laughs) The baseball is going to come flying through the window. You're going to get asked to jump in on a meeting with less than 10 minutes to prepare. You know, your husband is going to call and say that he has to stay at work for an extra 2 or 3 hours. It's going to happen. Our objective, then, in learning to reach for restful, joy-filling activities spontaneously is that those unexpected things don't ruin the rest of our day or the rest of our week. That when our husband comes home from having unexpectedly worked late, we're up to greet him with empathy and gratitude rather than with grumbling and grouchiness because we didn't have the help from him that we had planned on having. And we consequently had to um, give up a night out with girlfriends or had twice as many places to take the kids for their after school activities. So this is another, another level of self-knowledge from two weeks ago. It's being in touch with where you are right now. Being able to look at yourself and say, I'm liable to treat other people badly because of how I'm doing Right now, which means I need to do something as soon as possible. Two weeks ago, the exercise recommended was looking at those things that you already know drain you of joy. Now, the idea is to ask yourself okay, am I able to identify when I'm tending towards joylessness at the outset of that tendency? Rather than anticipating it a week beforehand. When something unexpected comes up, am I aware when grace starts draining away, as indicated by an internal sense of distress, because the internal indicator of grace is peace, or an external display of joylessness. For example, am I finding it difficult to smile? Am I finding it difficult to modulate my voice? Am I moving about with heaviness? Am I starting to become irritable? Having a real discipline of joy means catching yourself before the explosion. It's a discipline of being proactive. The fault lies in only being reactive, which is what is happening when we're constantly going to confession because we exploded again. We don't recognize the signs that are leading up to an explosion. And it's just a constant cycle. This discipline is breaking that cycle. It takes but a moment to enter into God's joy. And he is ready to overwhelm us with it if we will open ourselves completely to him. So what I want to leave with you this week is that we need to learn to take that moment thank you so much for joining us you can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website we'd love to hear from you and we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the will to wife podcast